Jesus, we thank you, God, for this time in your word. We thank you, Lord, as I've been just sharing, God, that you're coming soon. And Lord, as we head into this time, as we look at that, God, may you continue to work in our lives and our hearts. Lord, mold our character into reflecting the beauty of your holiness. God, I pray that the Spirit of God today would anoint the Word of God to change us, the people of God. So we ask for your touch, and we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Well, what's in a name? Well, maybe it's the job that you work. I came across some real people with real names that reflected the kind of job that they work. For example, a butcher, you know what his name was? Brad Slaughter. A lawyer, her name was Sue Yu. For real. How about this optometrist with the middle initial of I now, right? And his full name was Dr. C- Stephen I. Ball. Someone said they had a music teacher named Miss Fiddle, which, who then got married and became Mrs. Horn. I think that was interesting. A dental hygienist name, for real, is actually Carol Moeller. Or this public relations manager for the McDonald's Corporation, his, his name is Zoe Hamburger. One more, there's a chiropractor with a nice name, Dr. Lee Popwell. <laughs> Funny, though, how their names fit the job they do. Their job fits their, basically, their identity, right? But sometimes, sometimes, guys, Christians face an identity crisis when they fail to be who they are in Jesus Christ. Well, as we return to our study in the book of Hebrews, the writer focuses on who these Jewish believers are now that they identify with Jesus. See, the thing is, they are Christians now. They believe in Jesus, so they need to identify in Jesus. So this is where belief affects identity. And that is our title of this message, where belief affects identity identity. We're going to be studying Hebrews chapter 13, picking up at verse 7 and going to verse 12. We ended at verse 6 last time, so we're going to continue on here. So our study here today is Hebrews 13, 7 through verse 12. Now our outline is this. I've broken our passage up into four parts, and this is our outline. Number one, your inspiration, your aspiration, your realization, and your association. So where belief affects identity, it's in these four things. And number one is your inspiration. Your inspiration. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 now. Hebrews 13, 7, your inspiration is our heading. And it reads here. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. We'll stop there. Now, we begin with the word remember. The original word, the original Greek word here in the original uh, writing, it means look back on and take inventory. That's, that's really the sense here. So what is the writer saying? What do you look back on? What is that? Well, he says here, those who rule over you. So he's talking about those spiritual leaders who God had placed in a position of authority over you Now, granted, many times this verse is used to refer to being submissive to leadership. And, and we're going to talk about that in verse 17. But here in verse 7, you know what it's about? It's about looking back to those who God had put over you. To those who God had used as spiritual leaders of your faith. Now, keep this in mind as we're coming you know, off a couple of chapters off of Hebrews 11, right? The hall of faith, the heroes of faith there, those Old Testament uh, heroes, those, those guys who gone, you know, before us in Hebrews 11. Or we can think about the apostles of Jesus Christ or like those leaders God had raised up throughout all history in the church, like the preachers or the past missionaries who gave their all for Jesus. 
So the writer is saying, look, it's those leaders who here in verse 7 have spoken the word of God. They taught you. They spoke in it. The idea is that they have shared or taught the word of God, the truth and principles of God. Look to those guys. Remember what they taught you. And it's those individuals, and he says next here, whose faith believers follow. In other words, believers live as they did, as we follow in their footsteps. You know, the interesting thing here, the word follow here in the, in the Greek means to imitate. So that's even a stronger word here. So we are to imitate how they live for God. And why is that? Well, at the end of verse 7, it says we have been considering, well, the word means examining, the outcome of their conduct. Like what was the result of their life? What was the result of a life totally committed to God? Look at them. Remember them. Imitate them because that's what it looks like, a life that's totally committed to God. So the idea is this. Look back to follow, to imitate the example of those great saints who have gone before us. John Phillips writes in his commentary on this passage, the lives of God's mighty men are set up as beacons along the way. They are shining examples and we should imitate them. I like that picture, beacons. You know, I see lamps, you know, along the way in this path. And that's the way we're supposed to go. That's the path we're supposed to take. So, you see, this for believers is your inspiration. These guys is your inspiration, thus our heading in our outline. Last week, if you were here, remember, you could grab the CD or catch it online. But last week, if you remember, we saw uh, where the title was, Where Belief Affects Behavior. But here, as he goes on, the writer continues to bring application to the Jewish believers, hereby targeting, targeting really their, their spiritual identity. Or maybe you could say their religious identity. In other words, He's telling him, your life is no longer about being this religious Jew of the old covenant. It's about being in Jesus, living for Jesus. And it's all about living your faith out in, in a full commitment to Jesus Christ. Remember at this time, many of the Christians are being persecuted and martyred. So it was hard. It was hard to live this life. Some were even being martyred and, and they're dying and everything. And by the time this was written, you know what? Uh, think about this. James was already martyred. Philip was killed. Matthew, Andrew, uh, and Nathaniel, these disciples, apostles of Christ, they were killed already for their faith. Yet, the writer saying, hey, remember them. Remember how they walked. Remember no matter what, they stayed committed to Jesus. Remember their faith and imitate them. They have become examples and the inspiration of what commitment to Jesus means. And this is where believers find their identity. And here's the point. The point in this verse is this. Believers imitate what they've learned and seen from spiritual role models. That's what he's saying. Believers, if you're a believer, then you know what? You imitate what, you, what you've learned and what you've seen from spiritual role models models i was reading about uh, a man named john elliott he was a puritan evangelist who uh he actually reached out to american indians in the 1600s well you know what he inspired david brainerd who famously devoted his life to reaching the american indians after him reaching them with the gospel of jesus and you know what he died doing so at the age of 29 years of age his friend, Jonathan Edwards, you might have heard of his name, was so impressed by the fire in his heart that he wrote a book about David Brainerd's life. And we actually have that today. Which years later, after Edwards had passed, found its way in the hand, into the hands of William Carey. William Carey read that, and William Carey's heart caught on fire. And you know what? He went on to start the modern missionary movement that we know today. And he ended up going to India in 1793. Then in 1802, Charles Simeon, you might have heard his name. I, I, I study some of his commentaries and, and his writings. But Charles Simeon was preaching, and he shared the story of William Carey. And that spoke to Henry 
Martin, who gave up going to law school and went to India as a missionary. Now, Henry Martin, he, lived a, uh, uh, he was on fire. He, he lived a full but short life. Well, he became well known through the publishing of his memoirs and his biography. And that inspired a man, an individual named of Anthony Groves, who became a missionary to the area of our modern-day Iraq. Well, Anthony Groves had written a booklet called Christian Devotedness, which had a major impact on many people, men like George Mueller, I've talked about him before, and James Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor, if you remember him, I've talked about him, he went on to be a pioneer missionary, one of the first ones who really made a great impact in China. His life and his writings influence other missionaries like Eric Little and, you guys heard of Amy Carmichael. And they in turn move hearts like Jim Elliott and Elizabeth Elliott and who was especially inspired by Amy Carmichael. So you see the story goes on and on and on. Listen, these found their identity not in, not in someone in the world or some famous secular leader, but those spiritual giants who went all out for Jesus. And I'll tell you, this is what God is challenging you and I today. Let's do the same. Let's look to, to spiritual role models that God has placed in front of us, that have gone before us. Let us remember them. Let us remember, look at what they taught. Read what they taught, what they experienced, how they went through things. You know, we should never underestimate the powerful influence and inspiration of a life that is fully invested in serving God. Because we see with these guys, and they inspire me. They inspire me. Sacrifice and faithfulness to Jesus will continue to speak loudly from one generation to the next generation, the next generation. Now, I don't know about you. I want to be part of that line. I want to follow those, imitate those role models. How about you? How about you today? Maybe the question really today is, who are you imitating? Yeah? What is your inspiration? Who is your inspiration? Think about that. And then think about what is the result of it? Is it a godly life or a worldly life? What's your focus today? Who's your role models? You know what, guys? It's time to change now. Time is running out. Jesus is coming soon. Let's make a difference right now. Be the person God is making you to be. And this is where belief affects identity. Well, let's go on now to number two, your aspiration. (coughs) Excuse me, your aspiration. We've seen your inspiration, now your aspiration. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. It reads here, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the writer goes on and he adds this. After all that he said, he puts this verse in. That Jesus is the same. In other words, he doesn't change because, you know what, he's eternal, right? And, and, and this, this idea that Jesus is the same, technically they call this, they say God is immutable. That's the big theological word, immutable. Well, <laughs> Because he's immutable, he is the same yesterday, which means in the past, today, the present, and forever. It speaks about the future. Now, this verse speaks so much on the consistency of God and how we talked about how if he works powerfully in believers in the past, he's going to work for us in the present and he's going to continue to work for us in the future. But, and, and it applies. It, it's very important about his unchangeableness. But in context here, in what we're reading, we see that what the writer is saying is that ultimately Jesus is the one who all the saints have gone before us to identify with. They're all looking to Jesus, really, right? And so the idea is, though other inspirational saints come and go, ultimately Jesus is the one we want to be like. He's the one. Jesus is your aspiration. That's who we aspire for. That's the idea here. That's our heading. 
You remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul said, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. So we have our role models, our, our saints that have gone before us, and we want to imitate them. But Paul says, and I, like, I, I love Paul. Paul's one of my heroes. You know, but he says, hey, I imitate me, but you know, imitate me as I imitate Christ. In other words, we all aspire to be like Jesus. And that's Paul's goal. And that should be our goal also to be like Jesus. A lady named Catherine Tynan wrote, I stay myself on him who stays ever the same through nights and days. I like that. That's why as Christians, you know what we're talking about here? Our identity is ultimately in Jesus Christ. That's your, who you aspire toward. So the point is this. Those saints come and go, believers ultimately find their identity in the eternal Lord Jesus Christ. That's where our identity stays. Those saints come and go, believers ultimately find their identity in the eternal Lord Jesus Christ. You know, um, I first came to give my life to Jesus Christ. You guys know my testimony when I was 14 years old. And at that age... It was a time in my life I was going through a lot of struggles, you know, and, and one of the struggles I was going through was trying to fit in, you know, kind of thing. I don't know if you guys went through that. Trying to, to find yourself, right? I, I'm some of you when you're in your teens, and I know, uh, I remember my daughter was, was sharing with me about that during that time, and, and we, we got to talk some, you know, about that. But, you know, a lot of times in our teens, we're, we're trying to look at who, who am I? Who am I? And that was me. That was my struggles, you know, and all that. And it was one of the things that, that brought me to Jesus too and, and, you know, trying to figure out who I am, finding yourself, those kinds of questions. Well, after coming to a new life in Jesus, you know, I was trying to understand what that meant. I am, I'm a new creation. Yeah, I'm in Jesus now. And I was just trying to figure all these things out. Then one night, this Christian artist, and maybe you older guys remember her and we show our age, but her name was Kelly Willard. And she sang this song at this uh, uh, concert at church, and, and the Holy Spirit used that to speak to my heart. And her words impacted me all the way to this day. And her words were this. Uh, it was just this one section of the song, and it went, Who I really am in Christ, yes, I know He is my life. But when I get to know him, I get to know myself. And I realized right then and there, the Holy Spirit spoke to me that my identity is in Jesus. That's who I am now. That, and that's what the writer is saying to these Jewish believers. Though, you know, saints come and go, and we, we imitate them, we follow them. The believers ultimately find their identity in the eternal Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one. Again, who are you trying to be like? Who, who are you trying to identify with? Some movie star, a musician, another person in church? Now, we can be inspired to, to live like great saints. and we, we, we can follow their role models, but ultimately we find our identity in Christ. And He is the one we follow. And we are to grow, right, in the likeness of His character, right? That's what Scripture tells us. And this is who you are now, a follower of Jesus Christ. And so, how are you doing with that? Examine your heart today. For this is where belief affects identity. All right, we've seen uh, your inspiration, your aspiration, and now your realization, number three. Your realization, and this is verse 9 now. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9. It says here, Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. Okay, here the writer says, Hey, you guys, you know what? As we're going on talking about this, your identity, you know, our belief affects identity. Hey, don't be carried about. Uh, the phrase there really means don't be led away. 
Yeah, don't be led astray by what? By various and strange doctrines, he writes here. Or, or teachings, you know, strange, all kinds of different kind of teachings and things, you know, you're being taught in doctrines and theology. In other words, don't be spiritually led astray into believing maybe some deviant kind of teaching. Especially now, he zeroes in on here, he focuses on the rules and rituals of not eating certain foods, which he kind of comments and says, hey, it didn't even help those who were occupied or focused on them. It didn't really help them spiritually. It didn't really gain them, you know, being closer to the Lord or even salvation. But what you saw, what he's saying in the middle of this verse is this, is the heart that's been established by grace. Now that, that, that's, it's kind of hard to understand, but that's powerful, you guys. What he's saying, it's not rules and rituals. It's not the legalism that established you guys in the Lord that gave you access to his presence. It was Jesus and it was grace. That's what he's saying. The idea is who we are is not based on how good we follow religious rules and regulations. But who we are is based on God's grace in our lives. That's what he's getting to. This is, this is the, the real core of things, you guys. It's, it's how God yeah, worked in our lives, how we're saved by Jesus. But what's the basis of that? Grace. His love and grace, how grace came into our lives. And so that is your realization. Realize that, he's saying. Let that be part of your identity of who you are. Let that be in your heart. That, you know, I'm only here by God's grace. It wasn't all these things that I did or eating food or, you know, all this stuff. I did certain things. It wasn't any legalistic thing that brought me here that made me who I am. It's grace that made me who I am. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Over to the left. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want you to see verse 10 here. What Paul said about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. It says here, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. Paul writes, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I. But grace, the grace of God which was in me. Paul saying, you know what? You know who I am? What I become in, in Jesus, you know, it's all by grace. It's nothing what I've done. We know his testimony, right? It's, it's not anything, any work I did, any how religious I was, how spiritual and godly I made myself. No, it was just grace. It was grace that made me who I am. I am what I am by grace. And that grace toward me, it wasn't in vain. And what he's saying, you know, it wasn't wasted. Because you know what? I, I labor. I serve God more abundantly than anybody. I did everything I could to live for God, to serve Him, to, to share the gospel. To, I did everything more than anybody. But you know, it wasn't me. It was the grace of God that is in me. You understand now how it connects now to Hebrews 13? That in his heart was grace. He saw everything who he is and even everything he did. It wasn't, what he did wasn't some legalistic work that made him think that, well, God will be pleased with me and accept me. No, even what I do is all by grace because God made me who I am. The abilities I have, the opportunities God's given me to share the gospel, to be an apostle, to write scripture, it's all grace. I'm not anything. I don't deserve none of this. It's grace. Everything I am as an apostle is by the grace of God. It's nothing I've done. It's all of grace do you understand what he's saying so that's why the hebrew writer here is trying to tell the jewish believers now hey look everything we are in jesus it's grace it's because of grace now it seems that there are those judaizers quote unquote uh there are those who are going through the christian church and saying hey you know jesus is good but you still gotta follow these rules you still gotta do the traditions of the jews you still gotta make these sacrifices you still got they were bringing these legalistic rules and things into the church even to the christian church and they're called judaizers 
And they were appealing, if you think about it, to the old feelings of the Jewish believers here that the writer's writing to. Hey, you better not eat certain foods. Yeah, you're a Christian, but you still better not eat certain foods. You know, that kind of thing. But it all really was a, a premise to being right with God. This is how you can be right with God. Please God, by your works, you know. And not relying totally on what Christ did on the cross for us. So the writer's like, hey, that's not what it means to be a believer in Christ. Back to chapter 13, he's saying the heart of a Christian holds not the legalistic rituals, but it holds to this realization that everything we have in our relationship with God is by grace. It's not the foods here. That's what he's saying. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8, 8, and this is the NLT, it's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it, and we don't gain anything if we do. He's trying to say, it's not about the food, you guys, you know. It's about God's grace working in our life. That's how we have salvation. That's how we have God in our life. And what does Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 say? You remember? For by what? For by what? Grace, you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now let's bring all of that into what we're talking about, our identity. So, you see, your identity is not so much in what we do, but in the grace that God has given us us amen the forgiveness we get when we fail him yeah when we do wrong things his involvement in our lives every day and caring for us and providing for us giving us strength to get through the week it's not about how good we are how godly we are it's grace in our lives we don't deserve nothing it's grace it's blessings he gives it's a gift he gives. It's great. All of that. And of course, he loves us. So the point is this. Believers realize they are who they are because of God's grace, not works. This is what he's saying. Your identity is not in these legalistic rituals and rules and things you follow as a Jew. Yeah? Believers now, they realize they are who they are because of God's grace. That's what's in our heart. It's not about the works. And I'll tell you, when you really realize this, it humbles you. I mean, those of you who have come to that place where you realize, whoa, I don't deserve none of this, right? I, I, I don't, but God, He reached out to me. He loved on me. He brought Jesus into my life. He brought me this opportunity to pray and receive Jesus into my heart. And you think about that, you go, whoa. It humbles you. It really humbles you. You go, wow, Lord. Whew. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. John Bradford was in prison in the Tower of London for his faith in the 1500s. When observing a criminal being led to ex execution, he has been quoted to say this. There... But for the grace of God goes John Bradford. In other words, if it were not for God's grace, Bradford would have seen the same fate. Yeah. None of us deserve anything we have. Remember one sin, right? Sends you to hell, right? One lie, yeah? One sin because of a holy God, and he has to bring justice because God is righteous. He has to judge sin. That one little sin, or we think is little, that will judge us to hell. But Jesus Christ came into our lives, and Jesus Christ calls out to us in His love and His grace. He says, no, it doesn't have to be that way. Though you deserve it, that's not my desire. I, I want you to be with me. If it not be for God's grace from the start, none of us would be who we are in Jesus today. It all starts with grace. And it continues on in the grace God gives us through the provision of our sins in Christ. 
The one slave trader, John Newton, you remember his story and who wrote Amazing Grace, right? He was a slave trader. He, he was a captain of the ship that brought slaves from Africa into England. But he got saved. You know what he wrote? I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. I love that. So let me ask you this morning. Do you identify yourself as a person who is who you are by grace? You got to come to that place. You got to have that as part of who you are because it's not you. It's not anything you've done. And when you do, you know what happens? You speak more of God's love and grace. Yeah? More than what, well, I, what I've done, right? No, we identify with, with grace now. And this is how we live. That is the heart of what we do and who we are. Grace. So we are believers in grace, and that's where belief affects identity. One more heading here, number four, your association. Your association. We see number one, your, your inspiration. Number two, your aspiration. Number three, your realization. Now your association. And this is the rest of our verses here from verse uh, uh, 10 on to the, uh, our last verse in 12 here. So... Hebrews 13, 10 and 11, verse it says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. All right, you know, first reading, it's kind of like, huh? What is, he, what is he talking about here? So it's a little hard, you know, to understand, but let's try and make sense of what the writer's trying to say. When he says, we now, in verse 10, we have an altar. He's, he's saying, look, he's talking to the Jewish believers. He's saying, hey, you, you know what it's like for us. You know, you, you, you know what we've learned. We now, we have this altar in that old tabernacle, in the temple, you know, where the sacrifices were made. Where those who serve, who's that? The priests, right? Who administered the sacrifices, who put, you know, uh, uh, got them ready, put them on the altar and all that. Well, the priest, you go, he's saying, remember this. Remember you guys, we Jews, we know this, that these priests, they weren't allowed to eat the sacrifices. What he's saying is, you Jewish believers know how on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, remember that was that one day of the year where the priest would go and make sacrifice and go, that one priest would go into the holiest of holies, sprinkle blood, you know, on the mercy seat, the, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant to atone for the sins of the people once a year for that whole year. Well, he's saying, you guys know, you, you, we Jewish believers, we know how on the Day of Atonement, the, the priests afterwards, they do not eat the leftover meat. Now, normally they could. That was part of their provision. But on that day, that sacrifice, no, they don't eat the leftover meat. Four, verse 11 saying, on that day, whatever remained of the animal whose blood was brought into the inner sanctuary, the holiest holies, and offered for an atonement for sin, well, the remainder of the animal is actually taken outside the temple, outside the camp, the tabernacle or, or the old wilderness camp, way outside the area of the tabernacle or in their day, the temple area. They took it out there and burned it because that sacrifice took upon the sins of the nation for that year. So the writer saying to the Jewish believers, you guys know how the sacrifice for Yom Kippur took upon the sins of the nation, and that's why it was taken outside the whole temple area. Lloyd Ogilvie wrote, the sin sacrifice which had been identified with the sins of the people by the laying on the hands of the priests was, and, and I thought this was interesting, he, he put it this way, a fountain of uncleanness. So all the sins of the nation was put upon that, and that's why it was put outside the camp. So, verse 12 now. Therefore, <clears throat> Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So the writer uses now this, this, this scenario, this picture that 
all the Jews understand and, and have grown up with. The writer uses that analogy to how Jesus, right, took upon his body the fountain of uncleanness, all of our sin, and was taken outside the gates or the walls of Jerusalem. And you know what? That's where the cross stood, right? On that hill outside of the holy city on a hill called Calvary. That's Latin for the word Golgotha, which is Aramaic for the word skull. And that's where the three crosses stood. That's where Christ was crucified. That's where Roman crucifixions took place. It was outside the city, outside the, 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 the city of, of Jerusalem, outside of the temple. So Jesus was taken outside the city like the Yom Kippur sacrifices. He took upon his body the sins of the world similar to the Day of Atonement sacrifices. Isaiah 53, 6, what does it say? Remember that? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So the writer's kind of making this analogy, right, of these sacrifices the Jewish priest did and Jesus Christ. Uh, the, the, that sacrifice took upon all the sins. Jesus took upon the whole world's sins, right? And sacrifice was taken outside. The, the temple, the Jerusalem area, and Jesus was crucified outside. Well, then look at verse 13. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. So the writer brings the analogy a little farther by saying, look, as believers now in Jesus, we go now to Jesus who is outside the camp or outside the Jewish temple and the sacrifices there. What he's saying really is leave those previous Jewish ways and rituals and all, yeah? That we tried as Jews. We tried to approach God through the sacrifices and the traditions and the rituals. And go to Jesus now, to his sacrifices that is outside of that temple. His sacrifice, and we've studied in this whole book how through Jesus we now have access to God. Through Jesus now we can approach God. Right? And then the writer says in this verse, that is even if it means bearing his reproach. The NLT says, and bear the disgrace he bore. So all this is to say your identity is no longer with the old temple sacrifices. Your atonement is found in the crucifixion of Jesus. And that means even if your identity now means suffering, to be a Christian means you're going to suffer for your faith. You know what? You need to leave the old ways. That's the idea. We've seen, right? I've talked about this almost every week. The Jewish believers have been struggling under pressure and persecution from their fellow Jews. They are being told to leave Jesus, go back to your old ways and rituals. It's been hard for them. It's been painful. It's been, they've been suffering through this, through this. Even, think about their own family members coming down on them, right? Hey, you're, that's not what Jews do. You're a Jew, this is how you grew up. This is what you were born to. But the writer's saying, this is not who you are anymore. You are no longer a person who identifies with Judaism. You identify with Jesus now. This is now your association. That's our heading. So we come to our last verse, verse 14 today. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek. The one to come. I love this. The writer is saying, though we Jewish believers, maybe we're persecuted for our new identity in Jesus. It's okay. It's okay. You know what? Because we're outsiders. For here on this earth, we don't have a continuing city. Continuing city means like, this isn't our permanent home here. Yeah? This, this, this isn't really home. We're just passing through here. We seek, he says, the one we long for. That's the one to come. That's what we seek. We diligently look for our home. And what is that? Heaven, right? Eternity. The idea is your final destination is not of this world. Your home is that heavenly Jerusalem like you talked about before. Yeah, Not the earthly one. You are a citizen of the eternal heaven where Christ lives. And now this is your association. You're a citizen of heaven. You know, in Acts chapter eleven twenty six, it tells us that the disciples were first called 
Christians in the, in the city of Antioch. That's where that term came from. And you know where, where it actually came out of the mouths of unbelievers in that city of Antioch who would mock believers and say, Oh, you Christians, you. Oh, you Christians. That, it, 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 was, it was a word like putting them down. The word Christian literally means belonging to the party of Christ, which is not a bad thing. And that's why they're like, yeah, I like that. Call me a Christian then. For that's who we believers identify with, right? I'm glad to be identified with Jesus and be called a Christian. For I am one who belongs to Christ. I belong to this new group of people, people who are citizens of heaven. Are you okay being called a Christian? You should be. You should not be ashamed that your identity is in Jesus Christ. Well, this brings us to our last point. Believers are separated from the old ways and purely associated with Jesus Christ. Believers are separated from the old ways and purely associated with Jesus Christ. You know, just this last uh, February 2019, I don't know if you caught this in the news, but Pope Francis made a historic visit to the United Arab Emirates. And he met with Sheikh Hamid al-Tayeb, the imam of al-Azhar and the Emirati leaders. He was the big um, Muslim leader over there, Islamic leader. Now, this is huge because as all the articles were talking about, this trip was a symbol of interfaith and a message of religious tolerance. The Pope began his day at the presidential palace in Abu Dhabi and ended with signing now a historic agreement between him, the head of the Catholic Church, and the most important imam in Sunni Islam. Crazy, you guys. This covenant was entitled, this was the title, A Document on Human Fraternity for world peace and living together. Which really stipulates, right, shows its intention to foster peace between nations, religions, and ethnic groups. Well, Christians are all over in some Christian sites. And one headline said this. The headline of the article online was the Chrislam Pope. That's what he called him. And then it said, our world is being set up for the one world religion. That's what it is, you guys. Now, understand, I'm, I'm, I'm all for reaching Muslims with the love of Christ. And there's a lot of miracles and things going on in the Middle East that, that we don't hear about. God is giving visions and, and dreams. And, and many, many uh, Muslims are coming to Jesus Christ, you know. And I'm all for that. But this is significant for the language in the document you know, using God in a general vague way, this is this economical step of setting up the scenario for a one world religion prophesied in the book of Revelation. This is what the Antichrist is going to bring in. Not just the one world government, but a one world religion. It's all part of this end time scenario. You know, it sounds good in our day because they use the word Peace, yeah? Or together, or healing. You know, there's a lot of that in there. But let me tell you, we cannot compromise the truths that we find in the Bible. It, we, can't, we cannot cross the line of where Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no idea. Well, there's Islam and there's Christianity, yeah? And there's Buddhism and Hinduism. We all, these roads go to God. No, that's not what the Bible tells us, right? We know our scripture. We know what it says. Plus, in the Quran, Jesus is the, I don't know how to pronounce it, Isa, Isa, I-S-A. And you know what that is? Just another prophet or messenger of God. No, Jesus is God. Jesus is the Lord God. You cannot compromise on that. And so 
all of this is this, this head toward. See, you know, the enemy saying it's really setting up this world yeah, for these end times. And this is what we're seeing in our age, in our day that we live right now. So, the writers emphasizing to the Jewish believers that they must go out of the city to Jesus. Cut ties with the old way of these animal sacrifices and find salvation in Jesus alone. And that's why believers are separated from the old ways and purely now associated with Christ. And you know what? So it is with you and I as we identify with Jesus. We cannot mix in old beliefs and old ways. Yeah? Things maybe we did or thought of or maybe how we grew up that we think will make us spiritually right with God. It has to come from the Scriptures, you know. I, I, I remember talking to someone years ago where he grew up in a Buddhist family, you know. And, and it was, and, but he was hearing the truths of Jesus Christ and he was attracted and, and he wanted to give his life. But he's like, well, but you know, I grew up this way. My parents promised me to, that I'd follow this and do this. And I don't know if... I had to tell him, look, this is what the Bible says. I cannot tell you anything else but what the Bible says. And it's pretty clear. You, even if it means... And it's hard on your heart, even if it means going against maybe what you, your parents who have passed away, you made a promise to. This is what the Bible says. This is what God is saying. And that's what the writer's saying. You know what? That's what God is saying to us. Watch out what you mix in. It's Jesus. It's, it, it's, it's, it's only Jesus the, the Scriptures talk about. It's only the doctrines in the Gospel that the Scriptures clearly talk about that's your spiritual identity and is is that for you is it purely jesus or have you mixed in other things with the bible yeah maybe old traditions or or hawaiian legend stuff you know i've talked to some hawaiians like that you know you they're kind of mixed in oh yeah i believe in god i worship jesus but then they believe in this and all this stuff too yeah or Maybe you haven't separated. This is really what the writer is saying to the Jewish believers. Separate yourself from this. Go outside now to where Jesus is. But maybe you're here and you mixed in the worldly with your faith. Or secular things into your identity, I should say. See what the scripture is saying here. We are to be separate. Separate from the world. Separate from other beliefs. Separate to... Only what the Scripture is saying. Separate to Christ. Go outside the city where Jesus is. Are you separated to Jesus today? Let me ask you this. What are you like? Can someone look at you and know right away who you are? That's a good question, right? Can they see your spiritual identity? Can they, can they tell who you follow or who you imitate or who, you ro- who your role models are? What kind of identity do you portray? One comedian, Lily Tomlin, joked by saying, I've always wanted to be somebody, but I see now I should have been more specific. Who are you? Are you still trying to find yourself, trying to find your identity? Find it in Jesus Christ today. And when you do, people will know without question. I'll close with this story. Setting out from um, Hamburg, Germany, many years ago, one day uh, he went to give a concert in London. The famous violinist Fritz Kreisler had an hour before his boat had sailed. He wandered into a local music shop there and where the, the owner of the music shop asked if he could look at the violin that Chrysler was, was, Chrysler was carrying. Well, he, the owner looked at it and then he vanished. He disappeared and then he returned with two policemen. One of, one of the policemen told the vi, uh, violinist, you're under arrest. And, and uh, Chrysler was like, Chrysler, or I don't know how to say his name. Chrysler was like, what for? Well, you have Fr- Fritz Chrysler's vi- violin. But I am Fritz Chrysler. Well, you can't pull that on us, said the policeman. Come along to the station. Well, Chrysler was stressing out a little bit, and there was no time to really talk about it and do all this, go to the station. So he had an idea. Chrysler asked for his violin. 
And they said, okay. Then he picked it up and he played a piece, uh, some music that he was known for. And then he, after he was done, he turned to them. Now are you satisfied? And they were. So what is your spiritual identity? What do others see? What do others, other people find in you? Does it lie in what your inspiration is or what your aspiration is or what your realization is or what your association is? But let us all come to the place where our faith makes us who we are. Where belief affects identity. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we thank you, God, for your word. And, and Lord, God, there are areas in our life, God, and that we have allowed to come in and we haven't been separate like we're supposed to be. And we know those things affect our identity, Lord. And God, we don't want to be like that no more. God, as we're mindful of the age we live in, how, Lord, there's so many prophetic fulfillment of these signs of the end times that have happened already. God, we know you're going to be here soon. So, Lord, help us not to waste any more time, Lord, in how we live for you. And so, God, as we come before you, I pray for each one of us today that we would make sure who our role models are and, and are we really going after being like you, Jesus. Help us to realize that it's not about our works but the grace that you've given us. And God, let, us, let that motivate us, Lord. Help us with our association, Lord. Help us, God to be identified with you. So here we are, Lord, surrendered, broken before you, humbled. Fill us with your spirit now and make us into the people of God you want us to be, Lord. Oh God, we need you so much. Forgive us of our failures and sin. But now, Lord, put a fire in our heart, God, just as these missionaries and preachers who have gone before us put that same fire in us. And we know you can because, Jesus, you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, Lord. Oh, Lord, let your spirit fall upon us right now, God, and I pray for that empowering right now. Overflow our cup, God. Be in us, be with us, and go before us. In Jesus' name. Let's all stand.